Hello and welcome to Daf Shui, weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. I'm Aryeh Cohen. Welcome to the Beit Midrash in the Closet. So, today, as we are recording, Russia has moved into Ukraine. Seems we have another war in the offing, which brings up memories of the war that I was in. I like many, many people throughout history have been in a war, Lebanon in 82. And when uh, we got back to, got back um, from Lebanon to Israel, the one thing that just I couldn't rid myself of, the one thought was, I can't believe people still do this. And now it's 40 years later and people still do this. And by do this, I mean, people think that the way to solve problems is to go in and break things and kill people, or the other way around, kill people and break things. So here we are, again, we have managed to move into a situation where to solve problems, people are going to break things and kill people, apparently. Hopefully, people will pull back before they get too close to the edge. Though, I'm uh, somewhat skeptical. It's an unfortunate fact that there seems to be a never-ending source of people who are willing to kill and die for various causes and people who are willing to send other people to die so there you go okay and now for an announcement so here we are in our comfy little bait midrash in the closet every 10 days or so we try to bring you the highest quality dashwood programming available on this site we so appreciate your being here with us, pulling up a chair to an imaginary table, joining in the centuries-old process of asking the question, what were the rabbis thinking? So now we are asking for you, if you are able, to be partners in this venture by going to our Patreon page, which is linked on the podcast page, and become a card-carrying member of the Beit Midrash. Cards not included. Remember, we are not one of those corporate dafyomi outfits. We are more of a rickety storefront shtibel dafyomi. Thank you so much. Who's daf? So we are on 83B, all the way at the bottom. We're going to actually move back a little and take a look at the last part of the Mishnah. It's 83B in the page setup of the widow and brothers Rome in Vilna, lo these 150 years ago. So this Mishnah and the next Mishnah is kind of a number of Mishnahs. So we already went through the Mishnah last time, but we're going to start with Arba Midot Bamochrin, which is like halfway down, halfway through the Mishnah. But that's what our sugya is concerning. So therefore, we're just going to read through that really quickly. And then this week, the subject of the Gemara is Ona'ah, which is translated as defrauding. But we'll see it's more than a simple process of defrauding. It's more of a specific type of defrauding. And in order to start us off in that, we're going to take step back and take a look at Maimonides' summary, as it were, of halachic summary of what defrauding is. And there are a number of other concepts in play. One is mekach ta'ut, that is a different type of defrauding. It's a sale under mistaken terms, right? that you thought you bought one thing and you're buying another thing. And then later on, we'll see that there's also a concept of whether or not if you pay for something, that in and of itself is an acquisition, and therefore the other person has to give you the thing you paid for or not. And uh, that's what is controlled by the Mishnah's understanding of Misha Para, 
In other words, if I acquire something, but don't, if, if, even if, right, acquisition is not by money, but just by picking up an item that I get, by mishicha or by hagba'ah, by pulling it or picking it up, and we had agreed upon a certain price for it, but if I pick it up or I put it into my property or I pull it, then according to at least one opinion, that is that is the acquisition. And then the paying of money is not really an obligation except for the fact that it's an obligation to keep one's word. And so that is controlled by the Mishnah's notion that one who does not fulfill one's word is cursed by the court with a Misha para midoram abul hu yifra mizeh, the one meaning God who took compensation from the generation of the flood, pretty large compensation, will take compensation from this one. Okay, so we're going to start our Bamidot Bamochrin. There are four categories, rules, principles in sellers. Macharlo chitin yafot v'nimtu ra'ot If one sold wheat, good wheat, and found that it was bad wheat, so then the buyer can renege. If bad wheat and found out there was good wheat, the seller can renege on the deal. If they if it was thought it was bad wheat, but it turned out it was even worse wheat, or good wheat and it turned out it was even better wheat, neither can renege on the deal. Red wheat, which uh, it turns out bought red wheat, thought he was buying red wheat, turns out it was white wheat. Or white wheat, and it turns out it was actually red wheat. Now, red wheat, this I didn't know, is a type of wheat, and hard red winter wheat is the most common variation of wheat grown in the United States. The majority of it is grown in the Midwest Plain states. Like all winter wheat is planted in the fall and grows only a few inches until winter causes it to go dormant. Many home flour millers use hard winter wheat because of its stronger flavor than white wheat alternatives. It is known as a red wheat because of its reddish-hued husk. What's important for our purposes is that red wheat is different than white white wheat, because we'll see in a minute. Eitzim shel zayet v'nimtu shel shikma, olive wood, and it turns out that it was actually sycamore wood, shel shikma v'nimtu shel zayet, sycamore wood, and it turns out it was olive wood. Yayin v'nimtu chometz, chometz v'nimtu yayin, a wine that turned out that it was vinegar, or vinegar, it turns out that it was wine. Shneim yicholim lachzorbehen. In these in these latter situations, both of them could reneg, could say, no, I don't want, uh, I, I, deal is off. And that's because these are, the, the reason with these things, that these are two different things. They're not better or worse, which is interesting for most of us because especially the wine and vinegar, but wine and vinegar, we'll see in the Gemara, picks it up. Uh, you know, some people want vinegar, some people want wine, some people want to make salad dressing, some people want to make kiddush, right? So they are two different things. Same thing with the white wheat and the red wheat. And there is also red flour and white flour. Red flour is kind of made from a different part of the wheat, the, the grain, than the white flour is apparently. All this, courtesy of Wikipedia. Okay, so we're now going to start with the Gemara. If you noticed, the word ona'ah was not mentioned in the Mishnah. But Rav Chista immediately starts with Onas. So before we get to the Gemara, I'm doing this backwards because we're going to do an introduction, as it were, to Onaa, to defrauding. But I'm doing it through via the Rambam, who, of course, wrote way after the Gemara. But we're just going to use that as kind of a framework so we know what we're talking about. So 
Here's the Rambam in the 12th chapter of the Laws of Sale. Asur lamocher o la kone lahonot et chavero. It is forbidden for either the seller or the buyer to defraud their fellow. Now that's important, the seller or the buyer. Shinamar, as it says in Leviticus 25, 14, If you sell something to your fellow, or if you buy something from your fellow, do not um, defraud them. Right now, what's interesting there is that that pasuk is talking, that verse is, is within the context of Yovel. And we're talking about the notion of karka of land going back to its original owners. And the defrauding there that's, that is in the verse in Torah there is that you you know that there's a certain number of years until the Jubilee when you get back the land that you're now selling. So don't make believe that that's not happening, right? So take that into account and don't defraud your neighbor by saying, oh yeah, sure, I'll sell it really cheap. Now next year I'm going to take it back. What's interesting about that is that there is no Ona'aba Karka in rabbinic law. There is no defrauding of this type in rabbinic law, even though the verse that it is derived from is about defrauding on land. So there you go. And even though if somebody does defraud, they do transgress a, a prohibition, a no loke. They are not flogged. Usually, if you trans, usually flogging is from transgressing a prohibition. Because you one can return, because it can be returned, right? The 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 money can be returned. And whether one defrauded on purpose or not, the defrauder has to return the proportion of money that was fraudulent. Now, I keep saying things which are not yet clear, because here we go. So here the Rambam answers the question that's on everybody's tongue. How much is the defrauding that one is obligated to return it? So it is one-sixth. What does that mean? If one sold something that was worth six, for five, oh, sheva sheva b'shesh, or if one sold something that was worth seven, for six, oh, shve chamesh b'shesh, or if one sold something worth five, for six, oh, shve shesh b'sheva, or something worth six, for seven. Hare zehonaya, this is considered defrauding. V'nikne ha-mekach v'chayav ha-me'aneh l'shalem atonaya u'lachzira and this is considered defrauding, but the object is acquired, and the defrauder has to pay the difference between the proper price and the price that was fraudulently taken, that extra sixth. So in other words, if either the seller or the buyer, and right, if a seller sells something for a sixth extra, or the buyer swindles the seller and bargains him down to a sixth lower, then the object itself right? The pair of pants, which was sold for $60 and should have been sold for $70. It's an expensive pair of pants, I think. I don't know. So then uh, that extra 10, that extra 10 bucks goes back to, the, it has to be returned to the buyer, even though the buyer still acquires the pants. You can't just say, I don't want the pants. Or the other way around, if the buyer manages to bargain down the seller for $10, $10 which is onah, then uh, again, the uh, acquisition, the the pants are acquired, but the extra ten dollars has to go back to the seller.
Okay, now here's where it gets interesting. If the if the fraud was less than this, with even in a little bit, if he sold something that was worth sixty dinar for fifty dinar and a pruta, in other words, for an itzi, for for a, a, a smidge, a smidge less than a six. He doesn't have to give back anything. Because if it's less than a six, it is the way of the world to forgive that fraud. Meaning that's just bargaining. Okay. And if the defrauding was even a smidge more than a six, if he sells something that's worth 60 for 50 less a smidge, less a pruta, but tell So in that case, the wholesale is is canceled. And the, the one who has been defrauded can return the object and not buy it at all. But the one who defrauded, who did the, the fraud, cannot just renege on the whole deal if the one who is defrauded wants to keep the object and 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 get the 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 uh the payment back even though the sale is canceled still the uh the one who does the fraud who carries out the fraud the defrauder uh, does not have to re- return the object and the fraud until the unless the fraud is greater than a sixth and a pruta haita pruta bishava eno mafzir she'ain honayala frutot if it was a if it was less than a pruta you don't return it because you don't have you don't defraud in in prutot so in other words it is um whether it is the seller or the buyer that is pulling off the fraud, it has to be a six, and it has to be a six exactly for it to be hona'a, and this is what is interesting here, right? It's not just any type of fraud, right? Because if it's more than that, then the whole deal is off. If it's less than that, then it's mechila, then the the, uh, buyer or the seller forgive that. That's part of the cost of doing business or something to that effect. It has to be exactly a six. If some, so this is now the Rabbah goes on a little bit later to go into some details, which this we're going to go then see in the Gemara. Hamocher, one who sells to his fellow that which is worth four, and he sells him for five. Sharei mekach batel. So that's more than a six. So therefore, the sale is canceled. Kamoshibiano, as we explained above. And before he, before the amount of time that is denoted for being able to return the object or to get the object back, which is the amount of time it takes to give it to a, to show it to a specialist who knows this stuff, it actually uh, the price went up. So he tried to defraud him by selling him less for more, and it ended up being uh, the price going up and being worth even more than that. So the buyer, who's now could profit from it because now it's worth a lot more, can renege on the whole deal, but not the seller. Because 
because the, the buyer says to the seller, if you had not defrauded me, if you had not defrauded me, you, you would not have been able to renege. Now that you did defraud me, why should you be able to renege on the deal? Why should you be able to walk away the deal? Then that would mean a sinner is profiting from their actions. So too, if a seller sells something that was worth five and he sells it for four, and then it goes down and it's actually worth three. So in other words, the buyer, the implication here is that the buyer defrauds the seller because he offers him much less. So then the the seller can renege on the deal, can uh, go, uh, go back on the deal. And the buyer cannot. The same reason, Sharei Omer lo hamocher lo lokeach lo mipnei So the, the seller says to the buyer, is, is what, because you defrauded me, you're going to be able to, to, to walk away from the deal, etc., and so forth. So there you go. Okay, so that is Ona'ah. Now, Ona'ah, so as I said before, Ona'ah is a specific type of fraud. It's not a general type of fraud. It kind of resonates with the notion of edim zomimim which is a certain type of false witnesses. It's not a regular false witness. It's a it's a, a set of witnesses who testify that Joe robbed a bank. But then another set of witnesses comes and says, how could you testify that Joe robbed a bank? On that very day, you were with us in another place. Right? Imano heitembo tohayom. You were with us in another place. That is edim zomim. That's the, the this uh, type of false testimony, but that type of false testimony is punished by the fact that then the false witnesses are punished with the punishment that the uh, person that they testified against would have been punished with, right? So if they testified that Joe killed Jane, then uh, they would be killed. If they testified that Joe robbed a bank, then they would have to pay the double the amount for stealing. They, if in all, but it's only in that specific case of you were with us on that day. You were with us at that time. Not in case that, oh, no, I saw Joe someplace else. Any other type of false testimony is, does not get the same result. Here, too, Ona'ah, this type of defrauding, is only at exactly one-sixth. No more, nor, no less. It is, if it's less, then that's kind of the cost of doing business. It's mechila, right? If it's more, then it is a mekachtot. It is a sale under false pretenses. And then the whole thing is canceled. When it is ona'ah, when it's the one-sixth defrauding, then at that moment, the you get the, the, the difference in the sale price is returned by the one who tried to do the defrauding, either the buyer or the seller, and the sale goes through. Okay. So that is the framework and kind of the bottom line. This week's podcast is brought to you by Shazam for Idolatry. Do you ever walk down the street and see people doing stuff that's got to be idolatry? Have you ever been in one of those conversations where your best friend's new friend is mouthing off about stuff that is so off the wall it's got to be idolatry, but you don't know how to find out? Well, now there's an app for that, Shazam for Idolatry. It's just like Shazam, but for idolatry. Pointed at the offending person, the action which is an abomination, the political ideology, and the app scans it and tells you on the spot whether it's idolatry or you should just chill out. And if you mention Daf Shui, you get the app free for a month. Just go to www.shazamforidolatry.com slash Daf Shui. You won't regret it. Okay, Gemara. Amar Avchista. 
This is why we came to this. Macharlos shavech chamesh b'shesh. Uchitz says if one if the seller sells something that's worth five and he sells it for six, v'hukar ba'amad al shmona. But then the item gained in value and it's now worth eight. Minitana, who was defrauded? So the question who is defrauded here is kind of a rhetorical question because you might think that. The person who is defrauded is actually the seller because now the item is worth so much more. But no. Rochista says, it is the buyer who is defrauded because at the moment of the sale, it was worth less than the seller tried to sell it for. So therefore, the buyer can back out of the deal and not the seller. Because he said to him, if you had not defrauded me, you would not have been able to renege. Um, now that you did defraud me, now you think you're going to be able to walk away from the deal, to renege on the deal? And our Mishnah says also um, the same thing, that if it's good flour, good grain, and uh, he sold him good grain and turned out that it was bad grain. So the buyer can renege and not the seller, which seems to be the same thing here. Seems to be the same thing as Rav Chista is saying. And the same thing the other way around. Rav Chista says that if um, the, the seller sells something worth six, for five, and then it went down to three. So in other words, that the even though the 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 buyer thought he was getting away with lowering the price by a sixth, um, it actually turns out that he wasn't because it ends up being worth three. So who is defrauded? So again, here the Rav says the seller is defrauded because at the moment of sale, the fraud went against the seller. So therefore, the seller can renege and not the buyer. Because he says to him, if you had not defrauded me, then you would not have been able to renege. So now that you did defraud me, you can renege. So I'm sorry that, you know, that it's uh, uh, now worth even less, but that's your problem. You try to, you try to defraud me. Vitana Tuna and our Mishnah, our Tana in our Mishnah says, And uh, in the, uh, if you sell bad uh, wheat and it turns out to be good wheat, or you assume it's bad wheat and it turns out to be good wheat, so the seller can renege and not the buyer. Again, seems to be the same thing as Rav Chista. So, so what is Rav Chista teaching us? It is. The Mishnah, it is the same thing as the Mishnah. So no, the Stam says, if we had just learned it from the Mishnah, if we had just learned from the Mishnah, so one would have thought, perhaps, that both either the seller or the buyer could have reneged. Now here we're going to go according to all the manuscripts, just about all the manuscripts, and Matznit and Hainu Taima, and the Mishnah, what is the, the, the reason for the Mishnah? Ra, Ra, Yumara, Kone. So there is, basing themselves on a verse in Mishle, which says, Ra, Ra, Yumara, Kone, Va'ozelo, Va'ozelo, Az Yitalalu. 
So the buyer says, oh, this is evil, this is bad, this is bad. And then when he leaves, he uh, praises himself for how great a deal he got. So in other words, the reason for the Mishnah, one would have thought that the reason for the Mishnah, the reason the Mishnah says that bad and good is because of the fact that a buyer is always trying to denigrate the product that they're buying. You know, you go into a used car lot and you say, oh, this this car, this car I couldn't get, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be seen dead in this car. I mean, he's, he's not dead because it's not a hearse. But, you know, anyway, I wouldn't be seen dead in this car. It's a terrible car. Look at that rust. Look, it could be rusty. Look, it doesn't drive it, blah, blah, blah. And then he buys it for, this is a bargaining tactic. Then you buy the car for less. And then you drive it home and say, oh, my God, look how great a car I got. So that's what we would have thought, right? So if it only in the Mishnah, we would have thought that Rav Chizda is talking about that both of them could renege. But um, the Mishnah is reasoning would be because of the fact that a buyer is always trying to denigrate the product that they're buying. And at the same way, the seller is always trying to make it seem better. So if you'd only have one or the other, then you wouldn't have, then, then you wouldn't have known Rav Chista's whole thing, which is that either the buyer tries to defraud the seller, but then it turns out that the market goes back on the buyer and the seller made a good profit or the other way around. The seller tries to defraud the buyer and then the market gives the buyer a good profit. It's a whole different concept than you would have thought with the Mishnah, which is just the concept of, of infl- you know, uh, hyperbolically inflating uh, the value of, of a product. Okay, so now that's the, the sugya here. The question then is, I mean, the, the, there are a number of questions that are, arise. Why is it that Rav Chista brings Ona'a into this? Is the Mishnah really an Ona'a Mishnah? Right? The Me'iri says yes, because it's not the Mishnah. The other possibility is that it's a Mekach Ta'ud, right? That you're, because the Mishnah doesn't talk about a sixth. And right? the Mishnah doesn't talk about a sixth. It just talks about uh, Yafot and Ra'ot. But the Me'iri says, so the Miri says it's not talking about a mekach toad and not talking about a, a buying under false impression, false circumstances, because the whole concept of bad and good are subjective categories and are only bad or good in comparison with other things. Therefore, the mission must be talking about the relative worth, which is ona'a. Right now, the Miri also lays out there are three levels of ona'a, and these all comes under the category of ona'a, even though some of them aren't ona'a. So first is the one who has been defrauded, either the buyer or the seller, has to return the amount of the ona'a, but the sale stands. This is called ona'a. And here the Miri uh, adds on, says that's the Miri in Bavmetzi, and the Miri here adds on, this is exactly one-sixth. That is what is called ona'a. The second type of ona is the defrauded forgives the fraud and everyone goes on their happy way. Right? This is called mechila, what we said, like the cost of doing business. And this is less than one-sixth. Or the third type is the sale is completely canceled. And even if the fraudster wants to return the fraud, the defrauded need not accept that, but can still cancel the whole transaction. This is called bitul mekach. Right? And the Meiri says that this is what happens when it's more than a sex. Bitul Mekach is you canceling the whole deal. And according to the Meiri, our mission is all about Ona'a defrauding, which is in option, either option one, two, or three. There is not a Mekach Toit because of the subjective categories. The only question is how much the monetary difference is between the two and whether that comes under the category of Ona'a or not. Now, there are a number of other questions about this because it's, it's unclear why the Gemara above Metzia, the Rambam 
they all talk about Ona'a in a very specific way. And here, they don't talk about Ona'a at all in that specific way. So the Yad Ramah and the Meiri and others um, raise the possibility that it's not Ona'a. And the Rif uh, cites a, a Al-Fasi, our friend from Tunis, uh, from Fez, and uh, who later on moved to Toledo in the 11th century, cites a Gaon. He doesn't mention who it is, but just cites a Gaon, who actually says that I, the, 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 this all falls under the concept of Mishapara, as we said, whether or not the deal is, is concluded. And he says that that doesn't make any sense. But the reason there is such confusion is because the Mishnah seems to set, for, set out very specific principles of what happens, can you renege, can you not renege, but the laws of Ona'ah don't have to do with reneging. They have to do with getting a refund for the defrauded part, that one-sixth, or not getting their refund, right? And that's, you know, and, and that's a very specific type of thing. And Rav Chista is not going there. Rav Chista doesn't say that. Rav Chista is talking about Yechol Zorbo. So Rav Chista seems to be going according to a different, there, according to the Mishnah there in Bav Metzia, perhaps, and our Mishnah is different. And the question of whether or not Rav Chista seems to be saying, not going according to that, that the Gemara in Bav Metzia, uh there seems to be going according to Rava, who says that it is only the seller, right? There is only Ona'ab um, Ma'ot. There's only, the, there's only uh, defrauding in terms of money. In other words, the, the, not the seller, the buyer, can be defrauded, but the seller is not considered onash. Shmuel says that both seller bias. Rav Chista seems to not be going according to Rav or Rav Khan, according to some manuscripts, and seems to be going according to Shmuel there. So there, all these things come together, and therefore, what you have here is an interesting, an interesting, another interesting situation where a set of laws in one place seems to be different than another place. It doesn't travel easily. Onah into what we have here, which seems to be, because our, we're not talking about, we only get to this whole concept of perhaps defrauding, perhaps being tricked in what you're buying, because of the fact that we're talking about what happens when you sell one thing, what do you get with that sale? Okay, so now we continue in the Gemara with the next part of the Mishnah. If you, uh, you know, red wheat and white wheat, shechamtit v'nimtzeit levana, if you sold... Red wheat. And it turned out that it was white wheat. Or white wheat in turn was red wheat. So Amar of Papa of Papa says, or Papa decides that it's time for us to take a side journey. Amar of Papa, Midikatani Levanash, Mamina Haishimsha Sumaktihi. Since it says white flour as the opposite of red flour, so this seems to be saying that our sun is red. Right, that therefore the opposite of white is red. Teda, know that that's true. Because in the morning and in the evening, you can tell that the sun is red. So it's, but all day long, you can't see it because our sight is not good enough. So what is Rav Papa saying here? Rav Papa is saying is that there are only two, two colors in terms of, of, of wheat red and white, and they seem to be the opposite of each other, and so therefore he's saying he's, and and shechamtit, which is the uh, term that's used for the red red wheat, is perhaps from the word shemesh, and there are a couple of manuscripts that have it as a shematit, 
but from the word Shemesh, which means sun. So therefore, the sun is red. So therefore, Rav Papa says, it must be that our sun is red. Why doesn't it look red? It looks white. And those two things are not the same. So you're contrasting white and sunny red wheat. If those two things are contrasted, then our sun must be red. But it looks white. We think of it as yellow, but they thought of it as white. He said, well, in the morning and the night, it is red. And now he's going to bring a proof to that. So talking about leprosy in, in Leviticus, it says that if the perception of it is deeper than the perception of the skin, as, and then it's explained uh, the in in this Braita, which we don't have anyplace else, but that... Um, that it is like the sun, which is deeper than the shade. And there, that there is white, which is like what a, the sun looks like and not what the sun looks like. The perception of the sun, not the perception of the sun. And the white, because it says, if the light, if the brightness is white. So it's like the sun because it is deeper than the shade. It's not like the sun. Because there it is red and here it is, there it is white and here it is red. So what we were talking, so what is this, what, what was Rav Papa saying? What was Rav Papa thinking when he said that it is red? In the morning and night, but safra the chalfin abevarde digan eden. Obviously, because in the morning the sun goes past the roses of Gan Eden of the Garden of Eden, and that's why it has a red cast to it. Befanya the chalfa pitcha degeinam, and at night it passes the gates of hell, and that's why it has a red cast then. And of course, there's another opinion which says that no, it's the opposite way around. That at night it goes past. The, the flowers of the Garden of Eden, and in the morning it goes past the gates of hell. So just as a, so that, I mean, obviously a scientific explanation of why the sun is red in the morning and night. But it does bring up the fact that uh, there is, there is that the, the um, gates of hell do come into play elsewhere in Halacha, that uh, there is a notion of Meitveria, the waters of Tveria, which are hot but not cooked on Shabbat, and they are hot because they are heated by the gates of hell, by the fires of hell. So therefore, um, they have a different halacha than the than water which is heated by fire. Okay, and now we're back. So we have this whole set of things after the the wheat. We have wine, which bought wine turns out vinegar. Board vinegar turns out wine. Both of them can renege on the deal. So let's say that, so let's claim that our Mishnah, therefore, is a, goes according to Rebbe and not sages. Why? Because we have a Brita. So the, the first opinion says that wine and vinegar are one thing, the same thing, one, one category. And Rebbe says there are two two different things. And if they're two different things, that's why they can't return. Because if it's one thing, then you just, you bought good wine and you got spoiled wine. But if they're two different things, so you wanted to buy one thing and then you got some some other thing, so it's not necessarily a mekach ta'ud, it's just a different thing that you're buying, so therefore you can 
renege on it. Even if you're going to say that that our Mishnah goes according to the sages, so until now the sages were not had not disputed with Rebbe, except about this, you know, whether or not wine vinegar vinegar are the same typos, except for tithing and truma, the priest. Uh, gift, etc. According to Rabbi La, the Amar Rabbi La, as Rabbi La said, Minayin l'Torei min Hara'a Ali Afashe Truma To Truma. How do you know that the one who gives Truma the priestly gift from bad to good that that Truma is considered Truma Shnemar Velo Tisu Alav Chet Baharim Chem Et Chabo Mimenu, and you shall not bear sin. And when you give up its fat from it, if it's not holy, so why is it considered uh, bearing sin? So that verse is used to derive the fact that if you give truma from something that is bad onto something that is good, so it's still considered a priestly gift and it's okay. But according to, but in the case of selling, not in the case of truma, so in it, it's actually different because the kuliyama ika denichle bechamra v'la denichle bechala, ika denichle bechala v'la denichle bechamra. In general, there are certain people who want wine and don't want vinegar, and certain people who want vinegar and don't want wine. Depending, right? like we said before, if you want to make salad dressing and you want to make kiddush, okay. And thus, we finish our Mishnah and the Sugya on it, and we move on to the next Mishnah. And this has to do with acquiring, with the difference between acquiring and paying for. One who buys uh, fruit from their fellow, if they pulled it, which is the way, the manner of acquisition, but did not pay for it, it's acquired. If they paid for it, but did not pull it, then it is not acquired. If he was a, if he was smart, what he, what would he do? He would rent the place where the uh, acquisition took place because then there would be no doubt about the fact that it's in his place um, and then it is his. One who buys flax from their fellow, it's not acquired until a person brings it from one place to another, carries it from one place to another. That's a sign of acquisition. And if it, if it was growing attached to the ground and the buyer pulled it from the ground at, you know, even koshu, even pulled one stock, that is an acquisition. Okay. Rabbi Asi says the name of Rabbi Yochanan. If he paid for it and then he put it on a simta. Now, a simta is an alleyway, literally. But an alleyway, it means that it's not doesn't belong just to one person, but it's not a Rishut Rabim. It doesn't belong to, it's not a public domain. It's not a private domain. It's not a public domain. But it's a domain that only belongs to a specific amount of people. So here Rabbi Yochanan is saying that even on the simta, even in this kind of alleyway, the acquisition is an acquisition. Amar So Rabbi Zera asks Rabbi Asi, maybe Rebbe 
only heard about um, somebody who puts money, counts out the money into their kupa, into their, you know, into their, their, their vessel, their, their box, their, you know, money pouch. Amarlay. So he says that maybe that's the only, maybe that's the only type, that's the only time that a person acquires. Amarlay. So Ravasi says back to Rabzera, what are you talking about? When you're saying this, it's as if you never learned anything at all. Do you need a, a, a precedential saying from the Tanaim in order to know that if somebody counts out money into your box, that it's your, that you've, you've acquired it? So did Rabzera receive, in other words, agree to this or not? In other words, did he say, oh, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm an idiot. Tashma. So we learned from this other, from another brighter. So Rabbianai said in the name of Rabbi, a, in a, a courtyard that belonged to two partners, they buy from each other by placing something into that courtyard. So then if either either of them can buy, can acquire in the courtyard. My love. So what does that mean? Al gabe karka. So if they put it down on the ground, lo, letoch kupato. No, into their kupa, into their box, their money box, or whatever they're holding their money in. So hachinami mistabra. So it seems that actually here, this is Reb Zerah did hear this meaning, this halacha. Amar Reb Yaakov, Amar Reb Yochanan, Madad v'niach al-gabay simta, lo kana. Reb Yaakov said in the Reb Yochanan that if somebody counts out the money and puts it on the simta, or measures it out and puts it onto the simta, they did not acquire. Kashin adadi. So that actually contradicts the first statement of Madad v'niach al-gabay simta, that Reb Asi said in the name of Reb Yochanan that if he measured out and puts it on the alleyway, he did acquire, and here he says he didn't acquire. Kashin and Dadi, they contradict each other. El Alav, no. Shmamina kan b'modei letoch kupato, kan b'modei l'algabe karka shmamina. So here we're talking about where he puts it out onto the, on, just onto the floor, and here where he puts it out into um, his kupa, into his, his uh, box. So therefore we learn that Ravasi actually accepted this learning of Rabbi Zera that he said to him, don't be an idiot. Okay. Tashma madad lokana. Let us learn from this uh, other brighta. Actually, it says in our Mishnah, madad lokana. If a person paid and did not, uh, did not pull whatever they were acquiring, that's not an acquisition. My love, besimta. Are we talking about when, when it, that he didn't, Pull when it's talking about in a simta in this kind of alleyway. That's in uh, public domain. So then, what are we talking about in the beginning? Uh, he says if he pulled it but did not pay for it, then he acquired. What does it mean to pull something in the It's It's supposed to be symbolically. You pull it into your domain, and here you're in the public domain. So how could you acquire? Damri both and Rava said, So handing over from one person to another acquires in the public domain, and 
also in a courtyard which doesn't belong to both of them. Pulling uh, acquires in an alley and in a uh, courtyard which doesn't belong to either of them. And picking up is an acquisition in any place. My mashach nami diktani mershut rabim lesimta. So what does it mean? So what what kind of pulling are we talking about from a public domain to an alleyway, right? Because according to Abayin and Rabba, that there is no pulling, um, there is no mashicha which acquires in a mershut rabim, right? So there this there is a hierarchy of acquisitions where the the best is misira, giving it over to from one person gives it to another person in their hands. But if you can't do that, misira, which is like which is hagba picking up. So hagba is the best. If you can't pick it up, then mishicha, then pulling it. And if you can't do that, then misira. Then just saying or contracting, saying giving it over to somebody. Okay, ihachi. So if that is so, that the mishicha that is talking about in the mission is talking about pulling it from a public domain into an alleyway, say, that. What, what about the end of the Mishnah? If he was smart, he would rent the place. How could that be? Because who is he going to rent it from if it's a public domain? You can't rent the public domain. So here we, have, we are rewriting the Mishnah. So rather than say, um, if he was smart, he would rent the place. We're going to add a phrase that says, if it's actually in the domain of its owner, then if he was smart, he would rent that place. And renting the place, he acquires whatever is on that place. Okay. With that in the middle, we are going to stop here this week and continue next time. It's been a pleasure being with you for this time um, in the Beit Midrash in the closet, seeking refuge in the tent of Torah. My name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-T. As always, thanks to my uh, producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon, Please check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Hamreich. Thanks, as always, to my chavruta, Charlotte van Robert, and to the amazing comms team here at Daf Shvui, Shachar Cohen Hodos. Be well, be safe. Hope to see you again next time.